And uh, I would also like to reiterate, such a blessing to have my family in the house. God is good. <laughs> I cannot even begin to tell you how good he has been to my family. <sighs> if you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Psalm chapter 51. I'm going to be reading verses 12 and 13. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach the transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You can be seated. Now, I know many of us are super excited for the year that lies ahead. I have had the privilege of talking to so many of my brothers and sisters in here, and we're so excited about the opportunity, the new building, the new church name, the, the new location, the, the opportunity that gives this family of believers. I'm, I'm excited because prophecy has come about what's going to take place through this body of believers. We're expecting souls to come unto salvation. We're expecting... We're expecting God to do mighty things through each and every one of us. You see, we are expecting to be the very instruments of righteousness that a holy God transforms this community. I have an expectation. I truly in my heart believe He's going to do something great. But many times in Scripture, before God does something great, He does something in His people. And I think God wants to do something in our people before He takes us to that place. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to raise your hand, and I, I don't want you to even acknowledge that, that, that I'm speaking to you. But have you ever found yourself in a situation of spiritual destitute, being spiritually dry, being in a desert? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you just didn't think you could get a hold of God? Maybe you're in that place now. You know that God is real. You know that you know that you know that He is the Creator God who saved your soul. You can look back through your life and see so many things that He's done for you. You know that He's real. But you just don't know where to find Him. You look on the right, you look on the left, and you just don't see Him. You know the Word of God says that He will never leave you nor forsake you. But yet you don't see Him. You know he can be found in his word, but you just can't focus on reading. You try your best. You purpose in your heart that you're going to read every day. And for two or three days, you do so good. But then as you're reading, you find yourself drifting and thinking about everything in the world but what's before you. And the next thing you know, you forgot the last two verses you even read. You know God can be found in prayer. But prayer is difficult at best at times. And sometimes it's absolutely boring. It feels almost completely pointless to spend time in prayer because you feel like your words are falling to the floor. Does anybody know what I'm saying? You see, this is where King David finds himself in this text we're about to read. 
He was in a desert place. He did not know where God was at. He knew God was real. He knew all of the testimonies that he had did, not only for the children of Israel, but in his very life. But he just couldn't find him. Here's the context that we find David at in this story. You see, this is a story or a psalm about the time when David made a horrible, horrible mistake. It was when he did the sin with Bathsheba. The heading of this psalm tells us this. You see, the thing about David in this season of his life, he was guilty of a whole chain of sin. You see, we think of one thing. We, we, we think that he gazes out and, and he sees something and he takes a hold of it. But here's the reality. It was a chain of reactions that led him to the place that he was at. You see, he was a king who should have been out battling. But he was idle. Idle hands are the devil's playground. It's not scripture, but it's the truth. Idleness led him to lust. And lust led him to adultery. Adultery led him to deception. And deception led him to murder. Horrible, horrible situation for, for a mighty man of God. A man who had did amazing, a man who was anointed king of God's people by God himself. God called him out and said, this is my chosen man. And this just completely falls apart. In trying to cover up his mistakes, he just makes his hole deeper. He makes the situation worse. But here's the reality. In his mind, he thought he was getting away with it. He thought he was completely covering it up. You see, when he, made that, when he did that sin with Bathsheba, a baby come about. But he was like, I'm going to take care of her husband and then I'll take her. And no one will even know that it happened outside of wedlock. He thought he was getting away with it. But then God came by. You see, God sends the prophet, the prophet Nathan, to speak into him. And Nathan gives David a very, very powerful word. He says, David, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, there was this man who was really, really poor out in our community. And the guy didn't have much of anything. But he had this one lamb that he loved so much. He cherished it with his whole heart. And then there was this other guy in the neighborhood who had everything in the world. But he went and took that man's lamb. And David was enraged. David's like, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing, he shall surely die. And Nathan's like, who, king, the words you just said. You are the man who did this thing. And David is just broken. He's like, oh my gosh, I, I, I had completely put this out of my mind. How many times do we have sin in our life that stays there for so long that we keep pushing to the back, we keep pushing to the back, that we even forget that it was sin. We even forget that we messed up. We even forget that we sinned multiple times to cover it up. It's so well hidden in our life that no one even knows it's there. But you see, here is the scary thing. David was walking in unconfessed sin. When you do not confess sin, it is impossible to repent of sin. 
Proverbs would tell us that he that covereth his sins shall no more prosper. But he who confesseth it and forsaketh them shall have mercy. First John would say it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some, not most, all. Every bad thing you've ever done, every thought, every misdeed, every action, every misstep, if you just confess them, not to your pastor, not to your wife, not to your husband, not to your buddy, but if you confess them to the one that you have sinned against. Because you see, that's what David said. David said, God, I have sinned against you and you only. What do you mean, David? You committed adultery? You, you killed a man? You shamed a nation? He said, no. All those things are bad, but I sinned against one and one only. And he is the one that I will confess to. And in this story, as David is broken and, and the realization of what, what this sin has done to his life, he repents. And he's like, God, I'm so sorry. And Samuel would say, the Lord has also put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. What? You're telling me that, that all this horrible garbage that David did and all the destruction that, that he wrought in an instant when he repented, God forgave him. I think David said it earlier, our David, not this David, <laughs> that the goodness of God is the fact that he'll do it. Yeah, it's awesome that he has the power to do whatever he wants. But the fact that he's so good, he loves you so much that he'll do it in your life when no one else can. So David, King David, he's already been forgiven, but yet he writes this psalm. He would say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So evidently when David is saying restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He's thinking about something more than just the forgiveness of sin. The restoration that David sought was more than simply just forgiveness. You see the joy of our salvation is certainly the peace in knowing that, that we're free from the penalty and the power of sin. The peace that comes from the reality that Jesus paid it all. Whew. Jesus truly paid it all. He was the perfect sacrifice. He left all of heaven's glory to live and die. So every moment of every day of his life when he stood out of bed, he did that which was right. He was tempted in all ways but yet without sin. This Jesus certainly brings joy to our life. He paid it all. But man, there's so much more than just forgiveness of sin. You see, David knew a close personal relationship, an intimate fellowship with God that many in his kingdom had no idea about. Psalm 16 and 11 gives us a picture of the way David viewed his relationship. It said, Thou wilt show me the path of light. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
He said, God, when I'm in your, when I'm in your presence... He said, I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care if the kids are, are making noise in the house. I don't, I don't care that the bills ain't paid. I don't care that I'm fighting with my wife. I don't care that my husband won't work. He said, when I'm in your presence, the only thing that matters is you. You're altogether lovely. You're, you're, you're everything that my heart desires. You see, David would partake in a very, very real experiential relationship. A relationship that was a daily experience in his life. It wasn't some head knowledge. You see, there's so many theologians now that, that think that the way we find our way into God's presence is understanding Him. Because He, he, is, he is an intellectual God and He has created us to be intellectual beings. And, and I thank God for my intellect. I thank God for His Word and my ability to understand His Word. But here's the reality. God made you to be an experiential being. He didn't just want you to understand who He was. He wanted you to experience who He was intimately, personally. Personally, every moment of every day. You see, David had communion with the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. He sat down and would have a conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. David would talk to. The very lover of his soul. You see, David would partake in the restoration of the fellowship that had its roots in the garden. You see, because in the beginning, when God created man, He created him in a very unique and special way. You see, everything else He spoke from a distance, but man, He formed with His own hands. Personal, intimate. And then He would breathe into him the very life that would animate him. You see, God always wanted to have fellowship with man. That's why He would come and walk with him in the cool of the garden. He would speak to him. Unlike any other creature, God would fellowship man. And David would partake in a restoration of that. He would walk and talk with a loving God. You see, David desired fellowship with God restored. That's what he needed. He said, God, I know you forgave me, but I need your voice. God, I know that you've forgiven me of all of my mistakes and failures, but God, I need your presence. When I lay my head down at night, I need to know that you're there. You see, one time we were, we were talking in Sunday school and we were talking about how we know that God is chastening us. I don't know about you, but I know for a fact the way that God chastens me. He stops talking to me. Whew. And, and if you've never talked to God, you don't understand what that's like. But if you've heard the voice of, of the Creator God, the one who loved you so much, He would go to Calvary. If you've heard His voice in your heart, man, seeking for that voice and not hearing it, it's heartbreaking. That's the chastisement that I feel in my life when I mess up. And I thank Him for it. Because it's so sickening that, man, I don't want any part of what drives me to that place. <clears throat> David knew that no matter how gracious and wonderful forgiveness is, it was just access. It was just the door into his presence. It was just the way to get into fellowship with the altogether lovely one. Hebrews 
12 and 2 would say this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The whole reason He endured suffering and shame, humiliation, hung between heaven and earth, forsaken by all, was so He could have fellowship with you. You. Each one of you individually in this room Jesus looked at the nails. He looked at the crown of thorns. He looked at the, the, the blows that he would take on it. He looked at the spit that would fall upon him. He looked at the cat of nine tails and he said, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. You see, this is the fellowship that David knew about and he had got separated from. Because you see, sin... It brings separation, guys. As much as God loves you, as much as He gave everything on Calvary, His holiness still cannot fellowship sin. It's not even a choice. 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 5-7. through seven. That's easier than looking at my Bible. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. For if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Why do we lie? Because God is light. He's not darkness. Amen? We follow him in the truth and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have... There's that, whew, that beautiful word, fellowship. That word fellowship, in other places it's translated communion. Communion, fellowship. It, it's about a, a, an interchange of spiritual experiences. And that was something I was going to talk about, but God sent me a different way. So we'll get back to that. But fellowship is such a powerful word in the New Testament. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All. So God is light. And when we sin... We're in darkness. So sin is darkness. God is light. Correct? So if I turn out all the lights, it's an example we've all heard. Turn out all the lights. And then I turn the light on. Does the darkness fight against the light? Does it just push against it and say, no, I'm going to keep this a little bit? No. Instantly, when you turn the light on, the darkness disappears. They're mutually exclusive, meaning the two things cannot exist in the same place. Because God is good, God is gr gracious and loving and merciful, He will forgive you in your sins. But, because He is holy, He cannot fellowship your sin. It's physically impossible. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, when He walks into the room, you would have to flee. He doesn't remove Himself from you or me. Our sin pushes him away from us. When we sin, we must do as David did. We cannot be content with forgiveness. Thank God for forgiveness. But forgiveness is not going to get us to the place that we want to go. Forgiveness is not going to get us to the place that we believe this church has been ordained to get to. 
We must seek restoration of the old. We must seek restoration of the relationship that we had before. We must seek restoration of that intimate conversation with the Creator God. And then we have to strive for more. Yesterday's conversation is not good enough. Because we serve an infinite God who is a God of greater. You can never out-ask God. You can never out-talk God. That's the reason that we can eternally be in heaven and it will be joy after joy after joy because every day we'll see something new, more beautiful than yesterday, more powerful than yesterday, more gracious than yesterday. That is who we serve. Jesus is altogether lovely. So I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but before I move on, I want everyone in this room to take a quick second and ask yourself that question. Are you in an intimate relationship with Jesus right now? Are are you in that fellowship place where reading His Word is more important than your necessary food? Praying is is more important than the conversation with your wife or your children or your friends. Are you in that place? If you're not, restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. Just ask Him, restore unto me, Lord, the joy of thy salvation. David would go on to say, Uphold me with thy free spirit. Now with this, hoping I don't make some of you nervous, but if you look at the word thy, it's in the King James, it's in italics, meaning that the translators just slipped it in. Now they didn't do it to be deceiving or anything like that. They did it to try to help you understand what the word meant in English because when you try to translate from one language to another language, it's not direct word for word. That's not the way it works. I speak a little bit of French. You can't translate word for word. It's just garbage. You have to take the idea and turn it into another idea. Does that make sense? So anyway, some of the newer translations would say it like this. NASB, ESV, etc. Sustain me with a willing spirit. A free spirit, a spirit that is willing to do what you would have me do, God. We're not talking about the Holy Ghost here. We're not talking about Holy Spirit. We're talking about His Spirit. He said, my spirit, a spirit that is free and willing to be transformed. He said, uphold me, God, with a spirit within me that is willing to take instruction, that is willing to keep myself away from sin, that is willing to be obedient and not worry so much about sacrifice, but follow after each and every jot and tittle that you lay before me. Willing to do your will, God, at all times. You see, David was saying, strengthen me in my spirit so I don't mess up no more. He said, God, I I hate what I did and I don't ever want to be in that place again because I know that when I did that thing, it took me out of your presence. I didn't hear your voice anymore. Do whatever you have to do to keep that happening in my life again. I don't want it. It was crushing. He said, I don't want to give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He said, God, fix this within me. But see, here's where the story gets better for us. You see, David, he did not have some very powerful reality, some powerful truth, some powerful help. 
that we have. You see, we have the Holy Ghost. You see, in David's time, the Spirit came and went. He stays now. The Holy Ghost does not depart from you. If you are a born-again child of God, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, He will be with you forever. He does not leave you. And because of that, you have the ability to be victorious over every trial and temptation. You see, we are born again above from heaven by the Holy Ghost of God. You see, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're no longer powerless. We're no longer slaves to give in to every temptation. We have the ability to choose to keep in fellowship each and every day of our life. As I said, Jesus woke up every day and did that which was right. You have that power in you. The same Spirit, what? That rose Christ from the dead now does what? Abides where? That's it. In each and every one in your mortal bodies, not in some heavenly by and by, right now in this world, He lives in you. We're the very righteous children of the Most High God because He lives within us. He's empowered us to strengthen ourselves. Romans 12 and 2. He has strengthened us, empowered us, To do that which is right every moment of every day. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, be not conformed. Do not let outside influences lie to you. You see, when you conform something, how many people have seen concrete poured and they put a form around it? They make that concrete look like whatever they want. An outside force can make it look like whatever they want. That's what the world wants to do to you. When you're looking at social media, when you're watching things you shouldn't, when you're listening to things you shouldn't, when you're talking to people that you shouldn't, the entire time the devil is in them. Yes, he's in them. There's only two races of people in the world, in case you didn't know. There's children of God and there's children of Satan. If you're not a born-again child of God, you're a children of Satan. The devil is in them trying to corrupt you, trying to conform you into his. But be you transformed. Now transformed, that's not an outside-in thing. That's an inside-out thing. You see, when you're transformed, it's much less like a, like a concrete thing and much more like a caterpillar. There's just something inside that thing that makes it change. There's something inside that makes it look different, act different, and even, uh, look, uh, um, even uh, eat different. Everything about this thing is different because of something inside of it. We cannot be conformed. We must be transformed. And how do we do it? By the renewing of our mind. Our thinking. you got to understand, church, however, however old you were when you got saved, and I'll just use my example. I was 26 when I got saved. I had 26 years of habits that were horrible thinking. When you bump your toe, something comes out your mouth. When a woman walks by, you look. When... when um, I don't even know. I don't want to go into it. But, but all the various things, there, there's conditioned responses in my mind. When somebody pulls out in front of me, I horn custom, right? There's conditioned things that happen. For 26 years of my life, I did it day in and day out because it's just who I was. And then when I got born again, 
there was still some bad wiring in there. As pastor likes to say, neurons that wire together, fire together. You have to create new pathways in your brain. You have to choose to stop thinking like you used to and start thinking anew. You must declare the Word of God over your life. You have to. I can't do it. The pastor can't do it. We can do our best to teach you and to challenge you with preaching, but here's the reality. You have to read this Word and declare this truth over your life. I'm a holy, righteous child of God. The good work that was begun within me, God will not stop until He finishes it within me. I am a child of God. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. All the promises of God are yes and amen. You see, you have to speak that over your own life. That's how you change your thinking. We have a more sure word of prophecy, and we got to hold on to it, church. we got to speak this truth over our life. And once you begin to speak it over your life, then you start speaking it over your friends, over your spouse, over your children. Don't let your children be brought up thinking the lies of the world. You speak to them. Hey, you're going to be a mighty man of God one day. Oh, look, look at that prophet. Look at that prophetess. Speak that over your kids when they come into the house. Or, you know, oh, this is my little Tom Brady. That's what we want to say, right? We are much more concerned with them being superstars or something on TV. Or, oh, it's my little doctor. How about this, my little preacher right here? He's going to be an amazing prophet one day. Church, we have to begin to look the way God does. You see, God sees in light of redemption. We have to begin to see in light of redemption. Redemption lights our entire reality. Because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our old man's dead, and we're alive in Christ. That's just the truth. Because we're born again, we have the very life of God flowing through our veins. God flows through you. You, you are not the same thing that you once was. Do you think God just haphazardly calls you a child of God or, or say you've been adopted into the family or, or that you were preordained from the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ? You think He just made this stuff up and, and just... No, He says this because it's the reality. It's the truth that He wants you to walk in. i got to hurry. I don't even know how long I've been up. Am I... I'm good, okay. I want to give you a quick little story. I've only got one little section. I'm going to give you a little story here. Why is it so important for you to see yourself as God sees you? Why is it so important to begin to look at yourself in light of redemption? Now, some of you have heard me tell this story, and for those of you, I apologize, but there's a lot of faces I know haven't heard it, so we're going to act like it's, it's me. So there's this farmer, and this farmer's out in the field, and he's working. Working all day. He's working in the mud. And he is just, he's just hitting it hard. The sun's up and he's sweaty. And, and you know when you're sweaty and you're working out in the dust, it just, it just starts sticking to you. So by the, by the time this guy comes back to his house, so he comes up and he's walking out of the field. And there's his front door. And he walks up and there's this big old mud puddle. It's, it's just a big mud puddle. And it's like... 
I can walk all the way around there. Or I can just walk through the mud puddle. He looks at himself. And he's like, man, I'm filthy. So he just walks on through the mud puddle. Walks on through the mud puddle. Hey, why not? I'm filthy anyway. Goes on in the house. Hops in the shower. Strips off all of his clothes. Takes a shower and starts scrubbing himself real good. You know, he's getting under his nails. Getting behind his ears. Gets in the mirror and makes sure he gets it all out of his, his eyelashes and eyebrows. He stands completely nude before the mirror and he checks himself out. He's like, okay, I'm completely clean. No more dirt on me. Goes over to the closet. Opens up the closet. Gets some white slacks and puts them on. Gets a white shirt and puts it on. Puts him some white socks and some white shoes. White from head to toe. And if it's me, he probably has like a little white flat cap too. But, so he looks at the mirror. It's like, I look good. I'm clean. I am clean from head to toe. There is not a speck of imperfection on me. I am spotless. I got to go to town. So he opens up the door and he steps out of his house. And what's he see? He sees this big mud puddle. Well, what's he going to do? Because you see, he walked right through that thing before. But what's he going to do now? No. There's no way I'm going to walk through that mud puddle. I'm clean. I have been washed. I am white as snow. There is not a spot on me. There is no way I'm going to contaminate myself anymore. There's no way I'm going to get down in that mess. There's no way that's going to mess up what God has done in my life. Let's get it real. There's no way I'm going to get back in sin because God made me righteous. God made me holy. If I see who I am, I'm not going to get in this stuff anymore because I know the consequences of getting dirty. Final point. Then, he says, will I teach transgressors? You see, church, I believe in my heart of hearts, and that's what I wanted to teach on, that God is going to, to use many of us in diverse ministries. I've had the privilege and honor of, of sitting down with some of the young men and women in this church, and I believe they have a passion for ministry. I believe we're going to do great things. I sincerely, and my pastor is, 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 it believes in his heart that God has given him a hundred souls. And, and, and I believe it's going to happen. I believe this is just a start of something great. But, but, he says, then I will teach the transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted. Then, after we have restored fellowship with him, after we have come to this place of having the joy of our salvation restored, you see, the only way you can be an effective minister is when you minister from a place of abundance. You see, when you minister from your flesh, you're going to get tired. I can tell you firsthand, ministry is tough. Ministry sometimes looks like you are accomplishing absolutely nothing, and if you are doing it in your flesh, you're going to quit before you know it. There's pastors all over this world who have quit because they got burnt out. There's missionaries all over this world who quit because they got burnt out. There's men and women every day who begin new ministries and quit the next because they got burnt out. You see, here's the reality. If you try to minister in your flesh, you're going to burn out. But... 
But if you minister from abundance of joy, if you minister from a place that Jesus, I love you so much that I want all the world to see how beautiful you are. Jesus, I love you so much. I want to love people in your name. Church, we have to get to this place that when we pray, it's ecstasy. There's nothing I would rather do than be in His presence. There's nothing I would rather read than hear about His goodness. If you're not there, today is the day to get there. There is an altar. And I'm not saying you have to repent and say, God, I'm some horrible sinner. But here's what you got to do. If you have, are in a place that you have unconfessed sins, that's where it's got to start. Confess your sins unto God who you've sinned against. Second, you have to say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, restore it. I want to get to a place that you are the most important thing in my life. Because when I get there, my family is going to be affected. My community, my co-workers, my, my schoolmates. If you want to affect people's lives, the only way you're going to is ministering out of a place of abundance. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm not called to be a minister. Well, let me check you right fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And this is the word of God, just in case you're wondering. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Here's what I want us to pay attention to. And hath given us, who's us? Believers, us, believers, hath given us the same people who are new creations that he talks about in this, this, uh, this, this, this uh, text. The same ones are now ministers of reconciliation. If you are a born-again child of God, you are called to be a minister. The days that all the ministry takes place in this pulpit, the mess has got to stop. That's completely unbiblical. You can ask the pastor. I know he'll tell you the same thing. The purpose of the pulpit ministry is to do what? It is for your perfection. It is for preparing you to be the ministers that this community needs. To perfect you. To bring you to a place that you are ready to step in and do the ministry that your wife needs. Your child needs. Your co-worker needs. This community needs. But they need you. They don't need the pastor. You have to begin to minister out of a place of joy. And your joy is Jesus. You've got to get to a place where Jesus is your joy. We can only minister the gospel of Jesus Christ out of abundant joy. We're not commissioned to preach condemnation, but reconciliation. We're not called to preach this sin or that sin, this lifestyle or that lifestyle, we're called to do one thing. To lift up Jesus Christ and His holiness and His righteousness in abundant joy. Because when we do that, the Word of God says, all men will be drawn unto me. Church, we're not committed to a doctrine. We're not committed to a cause. We are committed to a person. The God of the universe. The uncaused cause. The only holy one. Jesus. We are committed to Jesus. 
We must preach Jesus. We must love Jesus. We must explain Jesus. We must display Jesus. It is Jesus in every moment of every day for those of us who know who He is. So as the musicians begin to play, I sincerely ask you, if you have unconfessed sin, today's a good day to make it right, guys. If you're not in a place with Jesus where He is truly the most important thing in your life, I think today's a good day to have the joy of your salvation restored unto you. And if you're in this house and you have not given your life to Jesus, and all this stuff may sound crazy, but I'm here to tell you there is a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. There's a God who has freely made access to all of this truth that I've said. And the only thing it takes is one step forward. Just give it to Him. Lay your life at the altar of the King of Kings. Pastor.